You're listening to Real People, Real God. Today, Misu and Lindsay will be talking about Eleazar. Eleazar has a barrier of faith. Let's see what they have to say. Hello, Lindsay and Misu. Hi, this is Misu. And this is Lindsay. Hey, welcome back, everyone. We are glad to have you with us today. Uh, Misu and I each just got back from a little bit of a vacation a few days ago, so I think we're feeling rested and refreshed. How about you, Misu? Was your vacation good? Oh, it was. It was awesome. We went to Florida for a few days and spent some time with family, and that's always nice to get to see family that lives far away. How about you? Are you feeling refreshed and ready to go? I am. Well, not quite ready to go. I think I would like to still be vacationing, but I do feel (laughs) relaxed and refreshed. I had a good break, spent some time with my family and got to do some projects and building things and stuff I don't usually get to do. So it was pretty relaxing and refreshing. And I think I'd like just to stay in that relaxing mode, but you know, duty calls. So (laughs) back back to work this week. (laughs) That's right. Well, how about if we dive into this Bible study here this morning? Yeah, I'm really excited for it. So today we're going to continue with this Miriam Bible study that we started last week, looking at these characters with different barriers to faith and different doubts. And today we are going to talk about Eleazar and his particular barrier to faith. Um, So kind of like we did last week, Misu, why don't you tell us about Eleazar and how you wrote him into this book? And he is an actual uh, figure that we find in scripture. He's someone right. that we see there. He's Aaron's son, I think, but he doesn't get as much, um, he doesn't get as much page time. He doesn't get as much, uh, right. as many chapters as someone like Abraham or Moses or someone we might be more familiar with. So how did you, um, when you were researching him, what did you figure out about him? What made you write him the way you did into this story? How did you, how did you write Eleazar into this book? Well, a lot of it came from my editor, actually. She okay. she is wonderful when it comes to fiction and, and the writing craft. And um, my my first take on Eleazar was he was going to be, he, he's the third born of, Ash, of Aaron, uh, third born son of Aaron. Now that's in scripture. And mm-hmm. um, we knew that when we were going to have Miriam as an 86-year-old heroine, we needed to have a younger male character as the second main character, and so okay. I thought, well, let's let's do one that's a, a guy that's not quite as famous as Moses or Aaron because they're they're famous, but they're older. We wanted a younger character, so we went with Aaron, um, and because I knew he eventually would take his father's place as high priest when Aaron dies, and so I I wanted to go with him. And so my initial idea was, okay, Aaron is this single guy. He, um, like his Aunt Miriam, would be single. He would, you know, be that faithful, strong rock of a guy. Mm-hmm. And I was telling my editor all this, and, and he, would, he and Miriam would be these rocks of faith in the, in the <laughs> Hebrew community. And she looked at me, and she goes, you know, I like you, Misu, but even I'm bored to tears just listening to that. <laughs> He's got to provide some sort of, you know, resistance to Miriam. Somehow he's got to, 
you know, maybe, maybe he's, it doesn't have any faith. Maybe he's, you know, and, and so she kind of was the first one to put that bug in, in my ear. And she started talking about, um, one of her family members who struggled while watching one of, uh, uh, someone very dear to them struggle through a wasting illness. And I thought, you know, Mm. boy, that's going to hit some people because I, I know about, in my world, there are several people who have either turned completely from their faith or whose faith has struggled when, you know, they've seen God as kind of this cosmic bully. Uh, you know, why would God do this to an innocent child or why would God yeah. do this to this good person? And mm-hmm. um, so that's that's kind of how Eliezer came to be. We wanted we wanted him to be that that person that asked those hard questions, that unbelieving person who Mm. said, you know, I'm going to walk away from God because I just don't understand the evil in the world. So that's how he came to be. And, you know, I, I wanted him to be that because later on he becomes the high priest. And what I've seen in a lot of the strong leaders in, in the faith, I've noticed that some of our strongest leaders were at one point some of the biggest doubters. Hmm. And I think that's a very real mm-hmm. occurrence in our world today. So I, I wanted to present yeah. that in, in some of our very real characters. Yeah, absolutely. And that's I think that's one of the reasons I was drawn to Eliezer and to his character and to to many of the characters in this book is because of these real doubts, these real Mm -hmm. barriers to belief. These are, I think these heart questions of these characters that we're going to be talking through here are questions and heart cries that a lot of us have, and they're very real. And again, I think sometimes when we read scripture, we just seem like, oh, that was so easy for that person, or that was, that seemed okay. Or, you know, if you just read over it and you don't use your imagination very much, or really, really think about, now, wait a minute, Moses was real just like me. You know, it, it can be so easy to build up whether it's, you know, the people of scripture or whether it's your, the pastor of your church, you know, like you said, a great spiritual leader, it can be so easy to build up those people and think they just, they're just perfect. They just love God all the time. Um, but that's, that's not actually true. That's not the case. And so I, I love this picture of Eliezer who's, who becomes the high priest someday, but, but in your, your depiction of him in this novel, it's, he had doubts. He didn't know what to do with God. He, he was, yeah. you know, he struggled through a lot of things to get to be the man of God that he was. And so I, I love that. And again, because I think it's very real and it's a real heart cry for a lot of us, um, for, for pastors and everyday people alike, for missionaries and stay at home moms. It's these, these kinds of questions are very real questions. So Eliezer was this guy who was having a hard time understanding and seeing if he could believe in God, his, his character was saying, I don't know if I can trust that God is good. I don't know if I can trust him to take care of me or take care of the people that I love or give me security and safety in, in life. He was, he was looking at the actions of God and saying, boy, I'm, I'm not too sure about that. You know, last week we talked about Talia who was like, I can't see God. So I'm not sure that he even exists or he's real or he's powerful. But on the other hand, Eleazar was looking at a God who he could see, (laughs) he could see the actions of God. And he said, I'm not too sure. Um, This God might be a little bit scary. And I don't know if I want to entrust him when he's bringing plagues on, on Egyptians and Israelites alike and on my family, along with other people. Um, Can I trust God to give me security, to keep me safe, to do good rather than harm to me? 
And I think maybe a lot of us resonate with that. What about you, Misu? Has there ever been a time in your life when that has been your your heart cry or your fear or your concern? I don't know if God's good in the midst of some kind of hardship and pain. Has that ever been true in your life? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and and many times along the way, little things will happen and you'll kind of have that, oh, really, God? Really? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think one major time in my life that I found myself crying out and feeling a little like Job, um, was when the chronic illness issues began to, Mm -hmm. to really wear me down. Um, you know, I, I was diagnosed with, um, fibromyalgia in 97, but there was about a year and a half Mm -hmm. before that, that I was struggling and the doctors didn't know what was wrong. And. Um, and then again, in 2002, I had a major crash and was in bed for six months. And again, doctors just didn't know what was wrong. And, um, you know, at at one point, um, I think it was actually back in the the mid nineties when we were struggling to find out what was going on. And, and I just looked at Roy and, and I said, I, you know, I think we're going to need to start doing interviews for your next wife because I'm not going to have just anybody raising my children. You know, I mean, a little bit of a control issue there, but um, we were just so certain that there was something Mm. dreadfully wrong and that they weren't going to find it in time. And there was a lot of questioning of God through that because, um, you know, with the unknown comes fear and Mm -hmm. with fear comes accusation. And, um, I think that's what's going on with Eliezer as well. Mm -hmm. There was so much fear in him. And when there's fear, there's accusation. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think that what it's, what it comes down to with a lot of us, the unknown is a scary place to be. And let's face it, God is unknown Mm. because we can't really grasp him. And so he's unfortunately, the target for a lot of accusation. How about Mm. you, Lynn? Has there been a time in your life when you've wrestled with that kind of doubt or that barrier to your belief? Yeah, absolutely. I'm um, I think, like you said, it can come in a lot of little ways or a lot of things that are hard or painful or not going right. And you kind of say, why God? But for me, one of the biggest times that this was a barrier to God, a barrier to knowing him or believing in him or drawing close to him um, was when I spent a summer doing a missionary internship in West Africa for two months. And just so many of the things that I saw there, so much of the hardship and pain, it just broke my heart. It just, it just tore me to pieces. And I mean, I, I'd grown up in, in a middle-class American family. We're, we're doing just fine. There, there had not yet been too much hardship and pain in my life. I mean, we've all got pain. We've all got struggles, but there had not been such great need in my life. And, and then I went and I was staying with, um, a missionary family in this small remote village somewhere, um, in a, a country in Western Africa. And I just was looking around and seeing these people are in so much need. They have great physical needs. They don't have enough food sometimes. They don't have enough physical resources. They have medical needs. And the nearest doctor is, you know, a few hours away for when women need to give birth. There's just, they have great spiritual needs here. Um, there, there's so much spiritual warfare going on and, and people need hope and people need light and truth. And, and man, it was just tearing me tearing me to pieces. Here's this Mm. such great need. And I started crying out to God, 
God, what are you going to do about this? And I had grown up with this, this idea in my mind of God, kind of like, you know, like my dad's bigger than your dad and he can beat up your dad. Like my dad's the strongest, <laughs> yeah. like that, you know, that kind of image. Yeah. And especially in terms of whenever we find evil or, or in my mind, evil and pain and hardship or just bad things in the world. Whenever there's evil, my dad's bigger than that. My dad's bigger than your dad. He can beat that up. And, and so that's what I believed about God. And here I was seeing, seeing evil and pain and hardship and suffering and I just said, God, what are you what are you doing about this? Do you even care? Where are you? When are you gonna ride in on your white horse and save the day? Because I believe you're powerful enough. Do you care? Are you good? You've sent this missionary family here to help and they can't help enough. What are you gonna do about it? And uh, that just I mean, it really tore my heart. So some of these cries of Eliezer, um, really, really resonated with my heart. And it was, it was a, a big struggle for me. So how did, so in your story, how did this kind of get resolved or how did, how did God show up? We've been talking also about God, you know, testing people at the core of their identity, but proving himself there or God being a God who reveals himself. My nature will be evident by my actions. How did God reveal himself to you or, or show up in your time of that struggle and meet you there? Yeah, well, you know, in the midst of those questions, in the midst of that fear, um, you know, there's not much you can do laying in bed. Uh, mm-hmm. And and so as as I was laying there with my little laptop uh, propped up on, on some pillows, um, I began writing. Hmm. And so I, I began to see the good that was coming out of the bad. Um, I began to, to have a release through my writing. Um, I began to be able to minister, even though I was having some of these health issues, Mm. um, began to receive some encouragement from people through that. Also, um, the Lord began to reveal himself to me in new ways. I began to, to see his love in different ways. Mm. I wrote, the Song of Solomon book while I was going through that first illness. I wrote the Job book while I was going through the second illness. Um, mm. So, and it came down to this one issue. I had to come to the conclusion for myself, not just hear it from the pulpit when I went to church, not just read it in the Bible, but it had to come from somewhere deep within. I had to to trust that God was good. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it came down to that one, one moment of, is there a shadow of evil in my God? Mm-hmm. And, and if, if he was completely, ultimately, perfectly, infinitely good, then what he allowed to happen could not have any shadow of evil in it, Hmm. ultimately for me, eternally for me. Mm -hmm. And so I I went back to those first scriptures in Job where, you know, the angels came and appeared before the Lord and Satan was among them. And he said, have you, and God said to him, you know, have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's righteous. He's upright. He's blameless. and, And he hates sin. And and Satan challenged God. He accused God. He said, you know, if you let me, if you let me get after him, he's going to 
curse you to your face. And God mm-hmm. said, I'll put him in your hands, but you can go this far and no further. And the thing that got me about that was that it was not God who did evil to Job. Yeah. God allowed Satan to do it, but he put parameters around his servant Job. And and so it's it's the enemy of our souls. It's Satan who does the evil, and it's God who protects us with parameters. Hmm. And so ultimately our God is in charge, but it's not he that does the evil. It's not him that does the evil. So um, that was an important distinction for me yeah. um, to come to when I was struggling through the intellectual and, and emotional um, struggle with, with why is this happening to me? How about you? Yeah. How did you get through your, your struggle with the, the missionary um, situation and seeing yeah. all that hardship and hurt and pain? Yeah, for me, it was, um, I actually had... Uh, a similar experience of, of, of meeting God, like I talked about last week, sort of meeting God out in nature and, and crying out to him and feeling God show to up to me there. It, yeah. it has happened a few, I mean, this doesn't happen yeah. to me. Don't get the wrong idea. Listeners don't, don't think of me that I'm just always hearing from God in the wind. Like, um, that, that does not happen to me like just every day or on a regular basis. But I, it, there have been a few really important times in my life when I was mm-hmm. struggling with some of these like soul wrenching kinds of doubts and barriers when God has shown up to me in very powerful ways. And I am so grateful for that. It's, it's been, it's been amazing that he would show up like that and it gives me something to hang on to. And then I still have to wrestle with things and and figure things out and, and wrestle with him about a lot of things, but it has given me something to hang on to. So for me, it was, um, it was an instance of, of meeting with God. I, I had come back from that missionary trip to West Africa and I, um, was just, I was in a pit. I was just struggling and wrestling with God and I was, you know, you're my dad who's supposed to be able to take care of me, take care of us and beat up anything that's bad and take care of it. And what are you doing? Where in the world are you for those people? What are you doing? And just wrestling with that. And I didn't know what to believe. And I, everything felt so dark. I, I came back and I was still thinking about those people and their need. And at the same time, there were a few friends in my life who were having a hard time. I was having a hard time. It just felt dark and, and, dead and lifeless was, was what it felt like. And I couldn't see God. And, and so I, um, I remember one late one night in the midst of all this, I, I went out to a park after visiting some friends. I went to a park late at night. I was probably about midnight. I'm just laying out in this grass in the park, looking up at the sky. These are probably not recommended activities. You know, like this may not be the safest <laughs> thing not. to oh, just like yeah. be out in the park in the middle of the night. My mother's listening to this podcast right now and shaking her head at me and she's yeah, glad that yeah. I'm still alive for so many reasons. Of Lindy but, yeah. no. You're welcome, mom. But anyways, um, so I, I was just laying out there late at night, just looking up at the sky and, and crying and crying out to God and just tears through tears saying, God, I can't see you. Everything looks dark and evil and painful. And it looks like darkness is winning and Satan is winning. And I can't see light. I can't see you anywhere. And as I was saying all these things, it was an overcast night. You couldn't see the moon. You couldn't see any stars. You couldn't see any light in the sky. And I'm telling God, it's all dark. And and as I was crying, it was impressed on me in my heart 
a verse I felt God speaking to me, you walk by faith and not by sight. Mm. And I don't know where that is in the New Testament, but it's somewhere. You walk, We walk by faith and not by sight. And so I said, okay, God, I walk by faith and not by sight. And I'm crying and weeping and, and resolving in my heart that, okay, even if I can't see you, I will believe and believe that you're there and that you are doing something. And as I resolved that in my heart, I was looking up at the sky and the, the clouds parted just a little bit and there was the moon coming through them for just mm. a minute and then the clouds mm. covered it back up. And that was like an affirmation from God. Uh, <laughs> I'm still here. Sure. The light yeah. is still here on the other side of the clouds, on the other side of the darkness. The light is still here. Even when you can't see it, you have to walk by faith and you have to yeah. trust and believe. Cool. Um, cool. And yeah, that was it was an amazing way that God showed up there for me. Um, and I get to, now I get to cling to that. And it has, you know, it has been a building block for my faith. Like we've been talking about these barriers and how they become building blocks, knowing that God is still, the light is there behind the darkness, behind the clouds. Um, but it's still hard for me sometimes when hard things happen. I think the problem of pain is one of the biggest barriers to belief for a lot of us at a lot of times, because it's just really hard. Yeah. And, you know, I think even for um, mature believers who I still remember when we were moving one of our girls in to her dorm, the very her freshman year. And I can remember um, having a very mature believer look at me that day. We got news that day that someone had been one of our our kids friends had been killed in a motorcycle accident. And Mm. A very mature believer looked me in the eye and she said, how could God do that? Yeah. And there was such venom in her, in her voice. And I just, yeah. Oh, there was, there was such, oh, I mean, she was so angry with God at that moment. And I, I just thought, was that God that did that? How, Mm. why, why would you? And it was almost, and, and, you know, Linz, when you talked about this, this, uh, line that Eliezer said in Miriam in this book, um, he was, he was upset and he was, he and Miriam were arguing over, over the plagues actually. And, and how God, why would God, um, kill so many innocent people in these plagues? And the, and the line that Eliezer says to Miriam, he says, yes, I judge a God who kills the righteous with the unrighteous. Hmm. And, and there is that, that feeling of, how can can God do this? But I, I think I, I think it's I think it's an issue for us as mm-hmm. the created yes. to stand in judgment mm-hmm. of the Creator. Absolutely. Now, you that that line stuck out to you, Lindsay. Tell me a little bit about what that line meant to you. Yeah, exactly what you're saying. As I was working on some of this Bible study material for this and the character of Eleazar and his struggles, that that line stuck out to me because it hit home in my heart because I think I have, and a lot of us, like that believer you were talking about, maybe even you and me, um, have maybe thought something like that and said, yeah, I stand in judgment of a God who would kill the righteous with the unrighteous, God who would who would let innocent people suffer. Why does God let bad things happen to good people. These are things we ask a lot. And so it hit home for me when I read that that line, that quote, because that's what my heart has said. But then as I I was reading that and studying the Bible and, and working on this Bible study material and sort of trying to think, 
what does the Bible have to say about that? Or what does God have to say about that? And I was struck with the notion of exactly what you said. Wait a minute. I am the created one. I am not the creator. I do not get to stand in judgment of God. That's not the seat I get to stand in or the seat I get to sit in. That's, that is not my place. He created me, not the other way around. I did not create him. I do not get to stand over him and, and pass judgment on what he does. But I think that's easy for us to do. And I think that's easy for us to do in an age of, um, of reason and critical thinking and, and using your critical thinking and critical judgment skills of, right. you know, judging what's right and wrong. And, and we do this. And so then we put God under the microscope. We put God under the lens and we scrutinize him. But stepping back and saying, wait a minute, I don't get to do that. <laughs> I don't yeah. get to do that before God. Um, he created me. He created the whole universe. He created the order of the universe. I don't get to tell him how things ought to be. And then there was another thing that struck me about that, that really sort of set me back on my heels. Eliezer says, I judge a God who kills the righteous with the unrighteous. Mm -hmm. And then this, this Bible verse came back to my memory. I was like, wait, I think somewhere the Bible says there is no one righteous. No, not one. And so I started digging in and, and looking for that. And Paul says it in Romans. And when he says it in Romans, he's actually quoting one of the Psalms, I think, where it says that there is no one righteous. No, not one. And then I, and in the story of Noah, the, the reason that God brought the flood and the destruction was because it's, it says there in Genesis chapter six, it says, God looked and saw that every intention of the hearts of man was wicked. Mm -hmm. Ouch. Yikes. You know, yikes. like yeah. there's no one righteous. No, not one. And so I had to reflect for my own self and say, not one, not even me. And so then that just sort of made me think when I cry out, God, have judgment on the unrighteous. God, have judgment on wickedness. God, would you strike down the wicked ones? I, right. I rarely, rarely, exactly, rarely ever do I stop and think, wait a minute, that includes me. Where, uh -huh. where do I want God's justice when I think about my own wickedness, my own unrighteousness? Then I want to call out, Lord, have mercy on mercy. me. Yes. But for other people's wickedness, I want to say, God, have judgment on that. Well, I don't know if I, I don't know if we get to do that. What has that, what about you? Has that kind of notion ever stuck out to you before of, you know, um, God, you know, I stand in judgment of, of a God who kills the righteous with the unrighteous. How have you ever been struck with, but your own culpability, your own wickedness in, in the matters of evil in the world? Has that ever struck you in that kind of way? No, pretty much. I'm perfect. Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh moving on. <laughs> moving on. No, oh my goodness. Yes, 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 of course. Because, mm -hmm. oh my goodness, none of us, you know, none of us can stand before the throne of God and claim righteousness. And I think that's where we, I think that's where we fall is, is we compare ourselves to somebody else, you hmm. know, the neighbor down the street that, you know, we sure. know it struggles with alcoholism or, you know, comes at home comes home at three o'clock in the morning and, you know, beats his wife or wh whatever. But sure. uh, we can compare ourselves to, to that circumstance. But when we compare ourselves to a holy God, my goodness, no, not one, not mm -hmm. one of us mm -hmm. can stand in that comparison as righteous. So um, I, I think the comparisons are, are real important. And, you know, also, the the whole judgment thing, trying to judge a creator, the, the answer for that is, is simply praise. 
the more mm, I yeah. praise, the less I'm going to be able to judge. Because the more I praise, the more I worship the creator, the God of the universe, the smaller I become in my eyes and the bigger he becomes in my eyes. And um, the less room there is for me to judge um, because I, I realize the majesty that I'm, I have no right to judge. So I, I think that's a real good, real good answer for that. And Absolutely. I think we're out of time for today. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was just about to add a little bit. And I think the more we praise him, the more we focus on the aspects of his character that are good and kind and loving and big and powerful, that can help us get through times of pain and suffering as well. And and God doesn't always promise that we will just have happy lives or pain-free lives. But I think he does promise to be with us in those places and Absolutely. to comfort us in those places. And I have found that. And I think what you're talking about with praise the more you praise him and focus on those attributes, probably the more likely you are to be able to connect with God and connect with his love and kindness and comfort in those times and just be able to delight in him being near, even if the whole world is falling apart, which is probably what we need in our times of suffering more than anything. We need God to be near us. So, yeah. Good. Well, I do think we're probably about out of time for today, but yeah. I just remind folks that you can subscribe to Real People, Real God on iTunes, Android, or the RSS feed on my Friday blog at www.misuandrews.com slash blog. And you can post comments there and questions on the blog down in the comment section. If you want to specifically ask Lindsay or me a question, please just list our name and address the question to us. And We'll be sure and reply to you. Lindsay, why don't you give a little teaser for next week? Tell folks what we're going to be chatting about next week. Yeah, next week we're going to be talking about the character of Miriam and some of her um, particular thoughts and doubts and fears uh, and things uh, in this book. And her particular barrier that she was struggling with was um, feeling sort of abandoned by God. She had known God in a certain way all of her life, and then all of a sudden he seemed to be removing himself in that kind of interaction or interacting with her differently. And she felt very alone, very abandoned. So it's going to be kind of a picture of, well, I thought I knew God, but now he seems to be far or distant or different. And what do I do with that? And how that can be a barrier to faith, a barrier to belief, or just a barrier to knowing God closely. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and see what we can learn about what do I do when I feel like God has abandoned me? I think it's going to be good. Good talks, yep. I think. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All right. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us today and come back next time. Remember, be real. This has been Real People, Real God. If you enjoyed this episode, we would really appreciate a five-star review on iTunes. And thank you for those who have already given us one.